a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Today, let me speak to the governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. And good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos joining Governor Gary Herbert this afternoon for Let Me Speak to the Governor. Thank you so much for joining us. A couple of ways for you to get involved in the conversation. 575-8255 is the number to call to ask your questions or you can text us at 57500. Governor, welcome to the show. I'm going to have to have you switch on your well, microphone there. Uh, welcome. I hope you've enjoyed your summer. Well, I have. It's uh, coming to a uh, rapid close here for all of us, and we've enjoyed the summer. But I do note it's back to school time. It is back to school our, time. Our grandkids, so we had uh, with them last week, they talked about their new teachers and their excitement of going back. Uh, some are going into elementary school, some are going into junior high, middle school, some are going into high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an exciting time back to school. That kind of signifies the end of the summer and beginning of the fall season. Football's in the air. Um, but I do appreciate, and I'd like to just make mention of all those people who work in education, our teachers, uh, superintendents, PTA, school board members, parents, students, all working very collaboratively together to have a good educational experience. And I appreciate the work that's been done by our legislature and others. It's worth noting that uh, in the 10 years, I just had my 10-year anniversary as governor here just a couple of weeks ago. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. And it's been a good run for the state and for me. I've certainly enjoyed the work. But we've been able to increase funding for public education in that period of time by $2 billion. Uh, that's ongoing money for K-12 through education. That's a significant infusion of resources, and, and it's producing good results. Overall, if you add uh, the local match, the local monies that are coming to, that's another billion so when I came into office, we were spending $4.1 billion on public education, ongoing money. And today we're spending $7.1 billion of uh, ongoing money for public education. So that's a step in the right direction. It's certainly not the end-all and be-all. As I've said many times, it's not all about the money, but it's some about the money. So I, I like what's taking place. The results we have of our achievement scores are up in every category. We're doing very well much better than the typical average of the nation, even though we're not spending as much money per student. A lot of reasons for that, but we're we're doing better. And last but not least, I'd just like to mention to our students out there that uh, an opportunity for you to go and learn. We say to our young people as we meet with them, you know, if you want a good job when you're an adult, get a good education. It opens doors of opportunity, provides a foundation for you to be able to have skills and be able to be hired by people out there and have a good job profession that will support you and your family for the rest of your life. So an education is key. We're trying to make sure that everybody has a good education and has that opportunity, and that's working. We also want them to be safe, and uh, we've recommended everybody that all students, parents have what we call the Safe UT app. Uh, again, we have opportunities if you see something untoward, some suspicious activity, 
uh, if you have concerns about yourself, your mental health, if you have feelings of depression, anxiety, there's a place to call on Safe uh, UT and get help and tip people off so that they need help. And, uh, again, a, a great opportunity for us to keep our schools safe. So Safe UT ought to be on everybody's cell phones, free app you can download. Right. Since you started on the topic of schools, let's just stay there for a second. Parents are concerned about the safety of their children's schools. You have parents in the car right now that are picking up their kids from kindergarten, probably first week of school. And what can you tell them? How do you feel about the safety of our schools here in Utah? Well, every parent has the right to expect that their children will be in a safe environment when they go to school. And every teacher has the right to expect that I'm going to be teaching in a safe environment. So when we had some of these uh, shootings that have taken place around the country uh, over a year ago, we asked our superintendents and our local school districts, there's 41 of them, to get do an assessment and evaluation of the safety of the schools in their district. They've done that. They've reported back to us. Uh, we're working on things like single entry points, uh, fencing off of the school grounds so that we can control who has access in and out of school grounds, certainly access in and out of our school buildings. Some of our school buildings need to be modernized and retrofitted. Um, we need to have maybe more resource officers patrolling the halls. I appreciate the fact that this past session, uh, at our encouragement, the legislature put in $26 million for due counseling, in addition to the money we've already put in for counseling, specifically designed to help with early intervention, to interview our young people, make sure things are okay at home, that they're not under undue stress, if they have mental health issues, if they have depression, anxiety, if they're having problems with their classrooms, if they're being bullied in school. Again, to intervene so that we don't have some kind of untoward action, whether the student would hurt themselves or hurt others. And so that's a new thing we're putting money into. Uh, we have some technology out there that we're, uh, that some of the private sector stepped up and is demonstrating that school districts can, in fact, isolate uh, anybody who's an intruder, shut down, close down, lock down the, the classroom so that uh, an intruder cannot get into them. So there's new things out there, technology, to help us address these issues. Um, and I feel very optimistic about the direction we're going. It's hard to prevent anything and everything from happening, but we're doing what we can to be prepared. Uh, do you see some steps that still need to be taken that you're planning to act on in the near future? Well, it always is a function of money sometimes. It would be nice, uh, you know, at least uh, I think some schools, and we let this to be a local control issue, they might want to have magnetometers, uh, you know, metal detectors in the schools. Again, single entry points I think are a big thing where you can control who has access inside the school building. They can't just walk in without being challenged. Uh, sometimes that's a, having a resource officer, law enforcement person that's there with a badge and, and a gun to protect uh, things from happening. So there's uh, those are probably the primary things. And it's also a matter of parental guidance and saying, if this happens, this is what you should do. Drills, just like we do fire drills. If we have an active shooter drill, there's things that they can practice and understand and be aware of without doing it to the point of, of scaring the children unnecessarily. It's a matter of if we have a fire, this is what you do, and calmly, you know, walk this way and shut the door. Our first caller wants to talk about schools, Governor. We have James on the line. And, uh, James, what is your question for the governor today? Well, good afternoon, Maria. Good, good afternoon, afternoon, James. Governor Herbert. Anyhow, basically my question about uh, schools is specifically about uh, legislators, uh, I hear, calling for a comprehensive audit of schools. And, Governor, I'm just wondering, do you think substantial savings can be found by the proposed audit? 
Well, it probably is unknown at this point, James. Uh, we have um, a need uh, to have oversight and accountability. We have precious few dollars. They're finite, and, and so we want to make sure we get the biggest bang for the buck that we can. Uh, we've seen, at least in some instances, some of our higher education buildings have gone over budget. Uh, the, the higher education people make that f- backfill that gap by having private donations. But still, we need to make sure that we have authorization and audit uh, capability to make sure the monies are being spent as effectively and efficiently as possible. So I don't want to presuppose what the audit will show, but uh, having the need to have accountability and transparency for all the monies that go into public education, like I say, we're up to $7.1 billion now, is a necessary thing. And I think it helps keep everybody's feet to the fire and helps us make sure we think twice before we spend the money, make sure it's being spent in the right way. Governor, we need to take a break. When we come back, we have one caller wondering about medical marijuana. I have some questions on my list as well. We'll ask those. If you'd like to be a part of the program, you can call us at 801-575-8255, or you can text your questions to 57500. You're listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. What's your question for Governor Herbert? This is Let Me Speak to the Governor. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert. We're glad to have you along during this noon hour. Again, you can call us at 575-8255 or text us your questions at 57500. Governor, uh, let's talk about medical marijuana for a minute. Uh, uh, You've had a couple of county attorneys uh, who've told their health departments that they won't defend them if... Once they start to dispense medical marijuana, and I want to get your perspective on that. I mean, that that has to be a serious concern. Well, it's hard for an attorney, uh, you know, to advise you to break the law. And I understand that. I get it, Uh, which is part of my frustration with this overall issue. And that's why is Washington, D.C. dawdling when it comes time for action? Uh, whether it's this administration, the past administration, why are we not taking on the, off the Schedule One list so we can do the research necessary to find out the truth about the medical use of marijuana and cannabis? Uh, we can do that. It's simple. It's just a matter of getting it done, and I don't think it's even controversial anymore. So uh, 30 states plus have gone ahead and, and legalized the use of marijuana as a medicine. We are one of them. And so I, I, I have no fear that somebody from the... Attorney General's office on the federal level is going to come and sue us or, or charge us. I don't think that's going to happen. The issue is really banking. 
we have kind of a cash and carry society with medical marijuana in the country today because of the federal law. And so people are taking suitcases of money in and out, and that's probably not a healthy thing either. But again, this is all caused because of the inaction of the federal government in Washington, D.C. That being the case, the people have spoken. We're moving ahead with medical marijuana. We're going to make sure that the product's going to be able to be uh, purchased and, and distributed um, by May 1st, or excuse me, March 1st of 2020. Uh, we're going to have distribution centers throughout the state. Uh, there's uh, growers that have applied to grow. And, again, it's ramping things up. is certainly going to be a major chore, but we're on track to do that. I see nothing ahead of us that will uh, prohibit us from having medical marijuana available for consumers throughout the state of Utah uh, by March 1st of 2020. So are there some things you're doing then to alleviate the concerns of these health departments since their county attorneys have told them or have given them that legal advice? Uh, working with Washington, D.C., we're calling our own congressional delegation and those in Washington to, in fact, fix the problem so we don't have this federal law issue that they're not enforcing and uh, they're not uh, challenging anybody in that regard. So, again, it's somewhat of a red herring from the standpoint of being the fear, but why don't we just fix the law and then we eliminate that altogether? We do have a bill, um, uh, I'm trying to think what's the SAFE Act out of Washington, D.C., this design, in fact, reconcile these differences and these problems so it would eliminate the problem altogether. So there's a bill in front of Congress. Let's encourage all of the Congress to pass the bill. We eliminate this problem. So we have Merrill on the line from Cedar City. Merrill, I'm not sure if we've answered your entire question, but did you have more on this subject you'd like to ask the governor about? Merrill, go ahead. What was your question? Yes, you're on. Well, I, I just want to know when and where I'm going to be able to get a medical get a medical card so that I can access the medical marijuana when it is available. Well, you can go to your doctor and give a, he'll give you not a prescription, but he'll give you a recommendation that will say basically that this use of, of medical cannabis may help you with whatever your issues are. There is going to be a panel too for those extraordinary circumstances that maybe you need to have special permission. So there's a couple of different avenues that you can approach and, and get a medical card and you can take that into the, distribution centers we're going to have throughout the state and uh, purchase, you know, uh, medical marijuana. The product will be in different forms. It's not going to be smoked, but it will be forms that you'll be able to take and consume. All right, Merrill, thank you for your call. Governor, our first texter is asking about our second right amount, second right, second amendment rights. There, I've got it right. Uh, let me just uh, quote his question. He says, "You can Utahns count on you to make sure red flag laws are not implemented in Utah?" Well, it depends on what red flag laws are. Without the specifics, it's hard to say a, a carte blanche, yes or no. But let me answer it this way: one. Um, I think everybody is concerned about having guns in the hands of the wrong people. Uh, and nobody wants to have, you know, a criminal have access to guns. Uh, nobody wants to have somebody that's mentally deranged to have access to guns. Somebody has deep depression or mental health issues to have access to guns. So the extent that we can, in fact, eliminate that, some states have used red flag laws so-called. The concern with red flag laws are do you, in fact, violate somebody's constitutional right of the Second Amendment, uh, or are you, in fact, somehow violating their civil rights in that regard? Uh, there has to be a due process where a court would say, as we do sometimes where people are committed, 
to mental health facilities to help them. Um, a due process where people would say you are a threat to yourself and to others. Therefore, uh, you don't have a right to have weapons in your home or available to you until such time as you're cleared. I know that's a, a little bit of a scary aspect of somebody going to come and charge me of being um, not capable or mentally capable of having a, a firearm, and am I going to be charged incorrectly? But if we have do we have we have checks and balances on that so that wouldn't happen. That would be in fact the the, the challenge is, is can we in fact do it? And some states have said they can. Whether we can do it in Utah or believe that it can be done will be part of the discussion and the debate. So it's certainly on the table for discussion. I expect it to come up in the legislative session. And for me, it's going to be if we can actually keep the hands out of, you know, bona fide criminals and, and bona fide people that have some mental health and some uh, issues that may cause them to do harm to others, it probably is a legitimate discussion. If we can't do that, then it's, it's probably not, and we won't have them in, in Utah. We did have a red flag law that was before lawmakers this past legislative session. Did you support that initiative? Uh, it never came to fruition to even have a discussion, to have a, to worry about it. Uh, again, I think the intent sounds good, common sense, laws on gun uh, restrictions or, or what we – everybody says, oh, I, I like common sense. I mean, who's against common sense? But we need to make sure we follow laws and we don't violate Second Amendment rights. States have flexibility on those issues, uh, and that's been taken to the Supreme Court. So all the, the gun laws are not the same in all the states, even though we have the same Second Amendment. So we have the ability to modify and have some flexibility state by state by state. So Utah is going to have to address it. I think all the states have to address it, and we'll see what bubbles up. Talk for a minute about the inland port. It seems like um, every other week we have some sort of protest over the inland port. Um, do you have regrets over the way the inland port was rolled out? Uh, give us your feelings about that. Well, I have regrets that there was not better communication. Uh, I have regrets that some people took a position A and then changed it to position B. And so there's regret, I guess, from the standpoint that we have misunderstanding and uh, and consequently people have acted on the misunderstanding whether they're sincere or not. What do you see as the misunderstanding? Well, there's always been, the master plan of Salt Lake City has always had for the development of the Northwest Quadrant. That's been part of the discussion from the previous administrations about when and if we can develop that out there. It's a great piece of real estate. They didn't have any infrastructure out there, no sewer lines, water lines, roads uh, to open it up. With the movement of the prison out there, the state put $110 million into infrastructure, which now has made that available for development. Uh, and so, uh, at least based on, the, on the, the master plan, that's a good thing. And then the master plan also includes an inland port. Uh, so the fact we have people now saying we're opposed to development, we're opposed to inland port, belies what they've put in their own city master plan. And so that's been part of the miscommunication. I understand the concern that people have with the state coming in and taking over responsibility. But I can tell you, in talking to the leaders of Salt Lake City, I've asked the question, do you believe in having an inland port? The answer has been yes. Do you believe the state, because of the significant and the magnitude of this responsibility and the $110 million we've put into the properties out there already, that the state should have a role to play? And the answer has been yes. So uh, some of the posturing that's happened after the fact does not line up with what the plans were with Salt Lake City 
and some of the promise they made to developers. We saw in the news where there's some concerns about uh, tax increment f- funding given back to developers on the on the property out there now. It is remindful. Uh, we should be reminded this is all private land. The subject to the zoning and, and the ability for them to develop their land as they see under the zoning. So it's going to be developed. The only question is how, when, and uh, and again, I think with the Inland Port, at least as I hear their board talk, they're doing a, an extensive study on environmental concerns. I think with the intent of making sure this is an environmentally sensitive Inland Port, it'll be the cleanest one in America. They've promised uh, some of the accusations about bringing coal up and shipping out of the airport is just not true. You know, so I think there's ability to do this a right way and a correct way that we will become the proverbial win-win for everybody. We just need to kind of tone down the rhetoric. Some of the protesters are out of uh, line, causing harm and physical violence is not a way to solve this issue. We've condemned that. And I think that the Inland Port Board needs to make sure that there's opportunities for peaceful comment and dialogue and understanding, and how that'll help us get to the right point and resolve some of these differences. Right. Do you think you're going to be able to move forward? It seems like the meetings have just come to a standstill as a result of those protests. And that's just a handful of people that, uh, you know, uh, again, I, I'm not going to accuse them of wrong motivation, but I, I do question what they're doing as some of the members of the group and what they've done not only here, but other parts of the country. And uh, so I'm not sure that all the motivation is pure, but we ought to allow the public to come in in a respectful way express their concerns and allow in a respectful way for the board to respond and say, and, and, and this is how we're going to address that concern. I'm confident. Uh, again, I, we've got two good uh, people running for the mayor of Salt Lake City. I think uh, both of them have the ability to work with others and we'll find common ground and find a resolution to the conflict and move ahead in a collaborative fashion. Okay. Does that, it may, you make that sound like the change in the mayor's position is going to make a difference for this. Well, you said that. Okay. And we're going to take a break for the bottom of the hour news. And you are listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor. The number to call 575-8255. Or you can text us your question at 57500. We'll be right back. Today, Let Me Speak to the Governor. Governor Gary Herbert spends one hour answering your questions. Call 801-575-8255. Live from the studios of KSL News Radio in Salt Lake City, it's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Good afternoon. I'm Maria Shaleos along with Governor Gary Herbert today. Governor, we have the Vice President headed to our state later this afternoon. Uh, I think we should talk about that for just a second. Uh, are you going to have a chance to meet with the vice president? Uh, what are you thought? What are your thoughts on his visit today? Well, we're honored to have the vice president, uh, my good friend Mike Pence, come here to Utah. Uh, he has his own agenda, talking about uh, trade agreements between Canada, America, and Mexico. Uh, it's an updating of the agreement called NAFTA. It's now the United States Mexico Canada Agreement (USMCA). So it'll be great to have him here to highlight uh, what we're doing here in Utah. Uh, Merit Medical is going to be the venue, uh, which is a ideal location for this opportunity. Merit Medical is a worldwide organization, homegrown here, manufactures a lot of products, life uh, science medical device. They have a, a production plant in Mexico. They distribute uh, throughout the United States and the world. And in Canada, they've got distributors up there. So it's going to be able to be on exhibit here what we're trying to accomplish with the USMCA. So uh, that's going to be a great venue. Anytime we can have the vice president come to Utah, 
Uh, I think he's well thought of here in the state. Uh, his background uh, matches up well with our culture. He's a very religious man. Uh, and he's got a lot of experience in Congress, uh, I think 12 years there. Plus, he's been a governor. And uh, the more governors we can have back in Washington, D.C., the better I like it because they really do understand the role of states. And sometimes that's forgot in the halls of Congress about the significant partnership that we have with the states and the need to have flexibility amongst the states as little laboratories of democracy and pilot programs experimenting on different issues. States are actually getting it done. All states are getting it done, whereas Congress is just good at kicking the can down the road. So uh, it would be great to entertain the vice president and put Utah on display as a good example of how state work, uh, state uh, do work and accomplish solving problems for the people. And there's no better example of that than Utah. We don't often get a visit from the president or the vice president. How did we get fortunate, so fortunate this time? Well, I think they're wanting to get out and promote and get away from Washington, D.C. As I've said many times, good governance is good campaigning. And so having good governance on display is probably a, a good thing for them to be doing as we have an election coming up next year in 2020. Uh, we've been in contact with them for a couple of weeks about the issue and, and what to do and how to do it. And uh, so, again, I, I think they realize re- uh, Utah is a very strong place for Republican conservative thought. And they want to make sure that they understand that they recognize that. And, again, we're a great example of what they're trying to get passed in Congress, this USMCA. In fact, there's no better example than Merit Medical. I think it's a great example, and I think they're going to highlight that. Use that as kind of a, a venue to, to hopefully promote votes out of the Congress for the USMCA. Do you hope to have a conversation with the vice president, and what would you put a bug in his ear about? Medical marijuana? What would it be? Uh, well, who knows? Uh, I do plan to spend some time with him, and, and maybe tonight when we pick him up or tomorrow at the venue too. But uh, he's been, in, his wife Karen, been friends with my uh, Jeanette and myself. So who knows? It might be he's talking about the grandkids. But it could be about, you know, uh, health care. What can we do to improve health care? Uh, the waiver situation we've had here, uh, and what does that mean for the future outlook of, of health care? Uh, what about uh, endangered species issues, uh, the public lands, which are unique out here to the Intermountain West? I'm sure he's going to want to know how it is that Utah is so good at so many things. And, uh, you know, whether it be economic development, we're the most healthy, diverse economy in America today. They'd like to say that same thing about uh, America and continue that growth and expansion of the economy. We're way above the national average in virtually unemployment and GDP growth, so we're doing it better than the average of the the nation. Um, Education, we're doing well. And uh, so I expect all those issues could be on the table for discussion, and we'll have to see what time allows us to do and what interest the vice president has. And we're going to make a list of things we're going to try to insert into the conversation when we meet with him. One of our texters asking about your state of the state, uh, what major goals you have met since then, and what goals you think you've missed the mark? Well, overall, I just kind of recounted some of the things we've done well uh, in history. It's not just start this past January when I do my state of the state. It starts when I was inaugurated in office 10 years ago. And we came into the depths of the Great Recession, the poorest economic times in our state's history other than the Great Depression, set a goal to become the best performing economy in America and a premier business destination internationally. Those have been realized. Those have actually happened. We are the best performing economy and our international trade has grown dramatically. 
we are known for international trade now. And again, with our ability to speak 130 languages here, we are uniquely suited for international trade. I think that's a good thing. Our educational achievement scores have gone up, up, up. Graduation rates are up. Our minority rates are even up uh, better. Uh, our participation in advanced placement courses, our uh, ability for people to go on to college and post-high school education, all of those things have improved dramatically. Uh, so those are some of the successes that we need to continue to build upon. We're not to the promised land yet, but we're on the right road and we're going in the right direction. So we need to continue that. Our infrastructure needs have been addressed. Uh, we're doing a lot with infrastructure roads, uh, dramatically Im- increased the amount of money spending on infrastructure. Our conservation efforts on water, for example, have been very good. We still have challenges with water as we go into the next 50 years, but we have a, a, a pathway, a, a blueprint uh, forward to, to address those issues in what is now the fastest-growing state in America. We do have a couple of texters asking about different road projects. Uh, traffic is a big concern for them. Uh, the first one wants to know when we're going to build the northern extension of the Legacy Highway. Do you have an idea as to whether yeah. we're on track for yeah, that? Yeah, that's the 19-mile stretch, I believe, up in Davis County. And uh, that should start, that should come online for construction in the fall of 2020, as I understand it. It's about a three-year project. So it'll create some additional frustration uh, we have to do the construction. The red cones, uh, orange cones will be out there in the way and and all. But, again, that's part of the result of success. Success has its own set of challenges. We have such a great quality of life. We have economic opportunity that people want to come here. And that growth is the thing that keeps me awake at night. If, if I was going to identify what's the biggest challenge we face going forward over the next decade, it's going to be how do we accommodate the growth and make sure in doing so we have no diminution of our quality of life, that we, in fact, continue to, to get better, whether it be educational achievement, whether it's we have better uh, health care, whether we have uh, uh, continued growth economically. All those things we want to continue to make sure that they're better tomorrow than they are today. And uh, so we're in a good place. We are in a very enviable place as we just hosted the National Governors Association. 30 governors and, and 29 of them came up to me and said, how do you do it in Utah? Why are you guys doing so well? What is your secret? And Because uh, in all the measurable rankings, on all the positive things, we're at the top of the list. It really is a function of our people, our culture, where we can do people. We work together and much more a collaborative spirit and a spirit of cooperation than any other state, certainly better than Congress. Even our legislature, the Democrats and Republicans, get along. And uh, when we pass 500-plus bills, 90 Nearly 93% of them are all passed unanimously, Democrats and Republicans alike voting. So that ability to get things done is part of our culture and is really one of the reasons for our success. And so I feel good about the direction. I think we've reached our goals. Uh, We're reaching them, uh, but it's, it's a matter of resetting the goals now and say we need to do even more. Yeah, speaking of growth, I was out at the Utah Motor Sports Park over the weekend, and Tooele is just a booming place right now. Um, there, the other texter is asking about uh, any plans to help alleviate the traffic in and out of Tooele. Well, again, the one road in, one road out is a problem, and uh, we've uh, we've built a road out there. It works pretty well, but there's going to come a point in time when failure is in our future. So. Our engineers at UDOT, uh, our regional AOGs, Association of Governments, they have their own transportation plans. So they get together and they say, where are our most immediate needs? 
and they rank them and they give them to UDOT and our Transportation Commission then ranks them. Mm-hmm. And it goes on what's called the State Transportation Implementation Plan, STIP. And we prioritize and then as funds are available, we build and construct. We also have to build and increase capacity. We also have to maintain what we already have. That's a significant uh, charge and cost too. So we are doing, we're spending more than 10 times more money now on road construction than we did when I came into office. So we've made that a prioritization, a priority, because we have this growth pressure. We have internal growth. We have the highest birth rate still in the nation, although it's slowing down uh, considerably. Uh, And we have in-migration of people coming from other parts of the country saying, hey, I want to live amongst those people in Utah because of the quality of life and, and economic opportunity. Great place to live and raise families. It's just uh, we have people moving here for, the, for that very reason. So the challenge of growth is real. Uh, we have transportation needs throughout the state. It's not just out in Tooele. It's everywhere. But there is a process where those priorities will bubble up and get on the, on the stip, and that will be funded and then built over the next five years. And you're listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor. The number to call if you have a question, 801-575-8255, or you can text us. We've had a lot of text questions today at 57500. We'll be right back. If you are looking for a retirement community that makes each resident feel valued, then you need to hear about Sagewood at Daybreak. I have conducted just such a search for my mom, and I know just how difficult it is to find such a special place. But just ask resident Dwight Blood, who says the assisted living staff at Sagewood helped him find and develop a passion for photographing flowers. I've discovered that flowers have a wonderful therapeutic value, that flowers can cheer up people, that flowers can heal people and make them feel better. Dwight has even published a series of books during his time at Sagewood. If you have ever considered what life is like at a senior living community, stop by Sagewood at daybreak and you can live like a resident for a day. Spend time with residents like Dwight and learn more about the community. Sagewood also has independent living apartments and memory care. Find out more at lifeatsagewood.com or call 801-938-9389, 801-938-9389. Reach out to Governor Herbert. Text 57500 or call him at 801-575-8255. It's Let Me Speak to the Governor. Thank you for joining us for Let Me Speak to the Governor. I'm Maria Shaleos, along with Governor Gary Herbert. And we have a very unusual phone caller right now. Nine-year-old Nellie is on the line from Primary Children's Hospital. Nellie, I understand that you just had a kidney transplant. Yes, I did. How are you feeling? Okay, just had lunch. Did, did, Nellie, did you just have it today or when? how long ago did you have it? Uh, Sunday. 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 Well, when I I met you at the uh, Life Flight uh, press conference, did I not at the front lawn of the state capitol? Yeah. We did. Yeah. Well, listen, congratulations on getting a donor and having a transplant, which is going to help brighten up your future. And um, what's on your mind today would you like to talk about? Um... Could you tell people how important it is for to be an organ donor? 
Nellie, I think you just told them. And uh, we appreciate the fact that you put a face to the issue. We have more and more people that are putting on their driver's license that they are an organ donor. And Nellie's an example of what can happen with people who will donate their organs and have the opportunity to help somebody save a life, prolong a life. So I'll put out a plea along with Nellie to everybody out there listening. uh, Consider being an organ donor. Do the steps necessary uh, that you'll have that opportunity to help somebody's life be better, probably uh, preserve it, if not save it. And, again, something that all of us can do. All of us can be organ donors. Thanks, Nellie. Thank no. you so much. All right, good luck Thanks, to you. Let me Nellie. know how things are going. Give me a call. Okay. All right. Thank you. Get well soon. Come and see me soon. Okay. okay. There's your invitation, Governor. Uh, let's take a call now from Bob in Salt Lake City. Hi, Bob. What is your question today for the Governor? Well, I, I, I just heard the Governor speak about the growth in Utah and so forth. And um, it's inter- I, I always find it interesting that the people who spoke, speak glowingly of growth are usually involved with a government entity, or I guess the other people that might like it are, are contractors. But particularly in the Salt Lake Valley, we have already outgrown it. We, we have more people than our natural resources can support. And why, in heaven's name, the, the only people who can control that, sadly, are government entities, and in, in ways such as not issuing more building permits, not uh, licensing more cars, um, all of those sorts of things. But those things never seem to occur to anyone. If you were to poll, I'm, I'm sure if you were to walk up and down the streets and poll 100 people, if you got one that said, yeah, I'd love for 50 more people to move into my neighborhood, I, I, I doubt you'd get one. And yet, it's still viewed as a positive uh, let me just respond, if I could, Bob. Again, uh, th- those 50 people that you say we want to move in and asking the people, probably before they moved in, the, the people before them didn't want them to move in either. Uh, I, I, I relate the story of Daniel Boone in Boonesboro, and when he got to the community, got to be 100, he left. said, there goes the neighborhood. It's too populated. In a free society where people have private property rights, uh, the ability for them to do something uh, with their property is uh, uh, a high priority. Government kind of regulates how you do that with zoning regulations. But if I let you develop your property and say to somebody else that comes along later, well, you can't do that on your property, then we are discriminating against uh, people's civil rights and their ability in a free society. So what we want to do is make sure that we control, uh, at least to the extent, the outcome of the growth, making sure we don't have a loss of, of quality of life. We are making sure that the air is getting cleaner now, not dirtier. Uh, the things that are being done to accommodate the growth, transportation, congestion, again, that happens. We are very urbanized here in the state of Utah from Ogden to Provo. or very much not urbanized the rest of the state. And so pressures to grow, undoubtedly because of the market pressures, of, of, as much as anything, will in fact extend into surrounding counties and cities outside of the Wasatch Front, certainly outside of Salt Lake City. So the question of how much can the earth sustain, how much can the community sustain, has been debated since the late uh, 1970s 
with Maltius saying the earth can't sustain us and we're going to have a big crash by the year 2000 and people will die and starvation will increase. That has not happened. So, again, I understand the need to have accommodation for growth and a free society, and that's what America stands for. So uh, the uh, best we can do is to have people be responsible. Our birth rates are going down. Uh, some of the issues that people have worried about are taking care of themselves just in the market without government saying, we'll tell you what you can do and how many children you can have and you can't develop your property and and uh, many issues that we could say government come in with a heavy hand and, and thwart your civil rights. We need to be careful about overdoing that aspect of it. I think what we're doing here in Utah actually has been a good example of how to accommodate uh, the freedom and liberties we have as Americans and make sure that our quality of life continues to improve, not, in fact, have a diminution of that. Governor, just a, a minute or so left in the program here. I want to talk about the um, economy a bit. You've talked about how great we are doing, but you're hearing that R word that I don't even like to say, recession. Uh, what do you see for our future? Uh, what do you see is happening in the economy? Well, we don't use the R word either. It uh, comes becomes self-fulfilling prophecy, and I think that uh, that's an unfortunate thing. We There's no reason why the, the economy cannot continue to grow. It may not grow as fast as it's growing now. Our GDP growth is one of the best in the nation at 3.6%. But maybe it'll go down to 2.6%. Maybe it'll go to 1%, but we'll still have growth. And I expect that we've put the basics in place. We've diversified our economy, the most diversified economy in America. That's a good thing, uh, you know, having a, a jobs for our children. Uh, And certainly we are going to have children. Uh, You know, that continues whether we have replacement uh, birth rates. There's only three states that now have that in America, and and ours is going down, but we're one of the three. So job opportunities that will happen for the future rising generations, technology is going to be there to help us grow and accommodate some of the challenges we face. But I'm very optimistic about the future. There's no reason we cannot continue to have growth in the economy, and, and we don't have to have a recession. Okay, we we want to tell all of our texters, uh, thank you for texting your questions today. We have so many, we're not going to get to all of them. Uh, but just a fun final one. Uh, be careful on your answer, though. This person's going to judge you on your answer. Uh-oh. Wants to know whether you would choose cherry or apple pie. Boy, I like them both, i got to <laughs> tell you. But I'd probably take apple as my first choice with a large scoop of vanilla ice cream. Oh, that sounds good about lunchtime. (laughs) Uh, Governor, thank you so much, as always, for being here, for Let Me Speak to the Governor and taking the time once a month to uh, join our listeners and talk about important issues and texters. I'm afraid you're going to have to text us back next month uh, at the same. We usually do this on Thursday. You're going to join us on Thursday next month, I believe. Very good. I'll I'll plan on being here then. Thank you so much. And you've been listening to Let Me Speak to the Governor on KSL News Radio.